0: Well, good morning. <clears throat> you guys doing all right? Well, uh, this doesn't happen often. As a matter of fact, uh, when I first got into ministry, when I would hear pastors say that, I was like, well, maybe you just didn't plan very well. Um, but this morning at 6 o'clock, actually 5.40 when I got up, I um, I had one message already set. We we're going to speak out of Proverbs, obviously wrap up or, or uh, close out our, our uh, foolproof series. And we're going to talk about money, which we had done, I know, back about six months ago. Um, and God was like, no. Now, like, clarify, because I'll let you know that that means I wrote a sermon in an hour. <laughs> so, but if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 17 John 17, um, and let me say this, I'm going to read Proverbs verse uh, 24, verse 3, I want you to understand or be encouraged, or hopefully maybe just use this as a point of encouragement, in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3, it says, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established, through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures, and listen, I want you to... I want, This is really what the Lord laid on my heart this week about this idea, right? Like like God says that He builds His house. He builds His church. And I believe wholeheartedly that God is the one who fills the rooms with treasure. And those treasures are the people that are around you. We as a church are a house built by God, focused on God, the foundation or cornerstone being Jesus Christ Christ on the cross Christ crucified and i want you to know that each and every one of you are valued and it says through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures and so it, i do believe it's important that we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus right that's that's the whole point of what he says that it's a, it's our ongoing process to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ in our life and as we do that listen The more I come into contact with God, the more I relate with God, the more I connect with God, the more I realize how desperate I need God day in and day out. And what I want you to know is this, just because you believe, just because you come to faith in Christ and you've been baptized and things, doesn't mean that it stops there. It's an ongoing walk, day in and day out. And let me challenge you with this. If you're not walking with God day in and day out, you are going to be caught up. It's already bad enough or difficult enough. You are going to be caught up in the waves of emotions. You're going to be caught up in the spiritual battles. You're going to be bogged down and worried. You're going to be overwhelmed and you're going to deal with anxiety and things like that. And I I believe wholeheartedly, just as, as Chris said earlier, I believe that Satan is at work. He's at work around us. He's at work in our world. And if you think he's not going to leave you alone just because you go to church, you're mistaken. a matter of fact, I've said this on multiple occasions that the minute God begins to work or when God begins to work in the lives of his church and the lives of his people, that if you think Satan is going to just sit by idly and not do anything, you're a fool. Anytime you make a decision to follow Jesus and you sell out, that first and foremost, I believe he comes at you. Then he comes at your family. And if we know based upon scripture, we know he's not just going to come at our physical family, he's going to come at our family, the church family. And all I can tell you is this week that we have seen it, that I know he's at work in emotions. I know he's at work in in trust. I know he's at work in in multiple settings, multiple situations, and in various ways. And so what I wanted to do today is to dig into John chapter 17. Now, if you know anything about John chapter 17, it's the prayer of Jesus. So I kind of lay the context out of what's going on. Jesus is meeting with his disciples. It's the Last Supper, right? He goes into John 16. They have their Last Supper. He comes to John 17, and it's his prayer before, listen, before the betrayal of Judas. Before the whole going before Herod and all of all of those guys and Pilate and things like that, Jesus comes to a point where he wanders off, which if we were to look at it, most likely when he goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he comes and he has this prayer. Now John is unique because, and it's one of my favorite gospels, because John is unique in so many ways. Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of give the same stories and just a different viewpoint and things like that. And then John unpacks things that most of the other gospels don't, don't deal with. And so John, we come into John chapter 17, and uh, he, he records or gives the Lord's prayer or Jesus' prayer, what we call oftentimes is called the high priestly prayer, um, where Jesus is praying to the Father. And listen, here's one of those things. We're living in times that honestly, I never thought would come. right? Like you sit back and go, well, it can't get that bad too quick. And then you're like, well, maybe it can, I don't know, get worse. So um, listen, we, we have a massive increase in crime. We have political unrest globally, not just in the United States. Obviously, the downturn of the dollar has wreaked havoc. We can see what's going on in our current economy. It seems like the more we work, the less we have. We have an, a rising increase in mental health troubles and issues. We have more emotional problems around us than we've ever seen before. We have families that are falling apart. We have people who can't, even, even as believers, who can't keep emotions or can't emotionally feel like they get a hold of what's going on. They, we, we, we try and trust in ourselves. We trust in the things that go on. And all I can say is this, maybe someday we just need to build a big wall right here, so that you don't look at the people who are on stage. Because honestly, as you look at the people who are on stage, you should really see failure, sin, struggle, and the need for the gospel more than anything else, when oftentimes what we do is we elevate those people. What we really need to do is to put our eyes on Christ, and really, that's honestly what I hope you just got to experience. We have people today who question more than anything else nowadays. As a matter of fact, on a Friday night, my daughters and my wife, my son was at work, we decided to watch Jesus Revolution. Anybody seen it yet? If you haven't seen it, can I just tell you you need to watch it? you need to watch it. Jesus' revolution is is built upon or based upon the story basically of the church reaching out to hippies. Now, for those of you who grew up back then, you're like, I don't know. All right, whatever. But that's the reality, right? This Jesus' revolution is based on the story of Greg Laurie. Anybody heard of Greg Laurie? Greg Glory's is a pastor out at Harvest Church out in California. A matter of fact, Greg Glory kind of took the mantle to a certain extent from uh, Billy Graham with their crusades and, and things he does, but it's, it's really the story about him coming to Christ. And what it was, was a, a, a pastor, <laughs> his daughter called him out basically and said, you need to do whatever you can do to reach the hippies. And he said, if God wants me to reach the hippies, he'll send me one. Well, a couple days later, he did. He sent him one. <laughs> and then it's really the, the, the heart of the pastor be like, well, this can't be what I was talking about, right? Like, there's got to be some other way. It's got to be different. And it, it really, it, it sparks the, the reality, or it really sparks the idea of how do we respond. In John chapter 17, if you would stand with me, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Jesus begins to pray. And I think there are two sections, really there's three sections of this prayer, but there are two sections I want to focus on today because I think it really, uh, it it sits with all of us. John 17, starting in verse 1, Uh, this is Jesus talking, it says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people. That he might give eternal life to all of those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I I just want you to let that sink in because we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the, the preeminent one, right? The one that the Father sent. And listen to what he says. I have brought you glory on earth. You send me here and I am going to accomplish what you sent me to accomplish, the work you gave me to do. And he says this, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Try and understand that. Try and just wrap your mind around the greatness of the God that we talk about and we serve. Then we come to verse 6. Jesus said, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came to you and they believed, or sorry, that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I not. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they, its talking about us, they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. So Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we pray just that you would be preeminent, you would be first, that Jesus would be high and lifted up, that we would understand and maybe just just simply get a glance, a glimmer of the hope that we have in Christ. Because he came, he came and he died, and he is restored at your right hand with the glory he had with you before the world began. God, may we understand our smallness and our sinfulness and understand your goodness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, this prayer is the capstone, really what I said is the capstone between what happened in John 13 through 16, and then what's going to happen is Jesus... Goes to the cross. It's the record of the words the Lord used to his disciples on the night of the Passover, the night before his crucifixion. And Jesus spent hours with his disciples that night. Matter of fact, he spent hours with them, even the one who was going to betray him. And they left. And as they're walking out, Jesus teaches them with promises and and warnings and with threats that they'll face. And he tells them he's going to be leaving, he's going to die, he's going to rise again, he's going to return to the Father, and he promises them everything they will need, that all the resources of heaven are at their disposal through prayer. And I'll be honest, it's one of the things that I believe we probably most oftentimes in the Christian life overlook. Hudson Taylor says it this way, don't work so hard for Christ that you have no strength to pray for prayer requires strength. You know, I believe in the American church, oftentimes we look at prayer as kind of a tag, an add-on, an addition, something I do real quick just to kind of move on and move, get past, right? Matter of fact, if I was to really ask you, I'd probably say, how many of you look at prayer as more like a problem or a struggle than something that you practice? Most of us probably use prayers very quickly, right? Whether it's getting up in the morning, God bless me, give me a good day, help everything to go well. Or whether it's a prayer at mealtime before we eat. But my question would be is this, do you fervently, do you honestly, do you, do you passionately seek God in prayer? Friday morning, I sat down I don't get to do this, I don't do this very often, and it's probably my downfall. I'm a busy guy, so this Hudson Taylor quote to me fits, because I'm the guy who's like, I gotta do, gotta do, gotta do, gotta do, gotta do, and oftentimes what we end up finding is that we get into this rhythm or routine of doing, 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 and we're missing out on who God is and what God wants to accomplish, you know, Pastor Buddy came a couple months ago before my sabbatical. He talked about rest. And I'm like, man, yeah, that's what we got to do. And then what happens? Walk out the doors and rest kind of goes where? Out the door, right? It's like, I don't do it. So Friday morning, I grabbed my Bible and I sat down in a chair and I started reading. And then I sat there. And some of you are like, What? You just sat there, and I sat there, and I sat, to the tune of almost 45 minutes, and listen, I'm the guy who, if I sit, usually, if it's, if it's time in God's Word, it's like, well, I got to be reading. Anybody in that? You know what I'm talking about? Well, I got it. I got to read it. This is the way he talks to me, and I sat. And the more I sat, the more I began to look at my life and go, what the heck? My question to you is this is that you? Because I believe that the reason why most of us struggle with what we just talked about, emotions, mental wear out, mental exhaustion, and everything else is this. We do way too much. We wear ourselves out trying to be about doing. Trying to be about accomplishing all that God wants us to do. And listen, the work the work that God wants to accomplish in our life first and foremost starts off with you, changing you, changing me, changing my heart, changing my outlook, changing my mindset, changing how I view people. And as I sat and I watched that movie on Friday night, I thought, how easy is it for people in a church to become so stuck in a way that is so focused on us in doing that we miss out on being and the movement of what God wants to do in our lives. See, I believe that in my life I get so busy that I think that there are times that God is calling me to do something and I look and I go, God, I don't have time. I have to do this, and I miss out on the blessing of what God wants to accomplish in my life because of it. And so here's what happens. Jesus is prepping his disciples, and I love how this prayer goes because the first part of the prayer, if you notice, it's all about God. It is all about the glory that God is due, that God is that God has earned, that God has shown, that God sits on the throne. And, and Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, is, is honoring and glorifying the Father because he acknowledges, listen, the Father and the Son are different, but the same, right? We talk about the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that one doesn't stop. In other words, the Son's not going, well, when the, the when when I'm the Son, when I'm God the Son, I stop being God the Father. They are dis- Distinct and separate persons in the Trinity. And so he's laying this out and he's trying to bring about and let us see God's glory, God's greatness. Listen to what he says Father, the time has come, glorify your son. Think about what's going on. Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed by Judas to go to the cross. And Jesus literally cries out to the Father and he says, Glorify your son. What does that mean? When he's talking about this, Jesus knows he is going to sacrifice his life for the sins of all mankind. And so when he says that idea, glorify your son, Jesus is saying, Father, you do what you gotta do to accomplish your will. And my question would be, is that? Is that your prayer? Father, you do what you have to do in my life to accomplish your will. Because it is all about you. This is not about me. This is about you working in my life. And I'm going to warn you when I say this. I, I said this, I think, a couple of weeks ago about praying for brokenness. I said there's, there's, there's three things that I will, very, I will venture to tell you this. You don't pray for humility. You don't pray for brokenness. And you don't pray for patience unless you want God to really give you those things. Because every time I've prayed for those things, it happens. And here's what's crazy about it. We all think it's great. Oh, yeah, I want God, God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me, break me, mold me, make me, make me humble, make me into what you want to do. And then here's what happens. God delivers the right hook out of nowhere to do that. And we're like, I don't like this. God, I don't like the way you're working because it wasn't the way I was thinking. It wasn't what I wanted. It's not what I expected, but you know, every time I read scripture, every time I see those prayers from the people, God, use me, God, 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 do whatever you got to do in me, every one of those people, it was never how they intended. It was not what they expected or hoped for. But I also know this, that in the end, that God got the glory and they got to walk with him. And so my question today is simply that, do you want that? Do you want God to get the glory and you to walk with Him? Or do you want to continue to hold on to your world and continue to to struggle with what you struggle with? Here's the big idea today, and we may or may not get through this whole sermon, I'll be honest with you. Right now, to a certain extent, I got a six-shooter and I'm just shooting from the hip. Um, And I say that, I'm not joking, I got my notes, right? But, but there's just some things that I believe is going on. But listen, prayer, here's the idea. Big idea, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Prayer is man's greatest asset. Prayer is our greatest asset because the power and provision of God are at our disposal. And what I see in John 17 Is really an example of what Jesus shows us in how prayer can be life changing. Like after Friday morning, (laughs) you know, one of my desires was after Friday morning was God, you got to give me more times like this, and you got to force these times upon me if if need be. So the question is this: How can prayer be life changing? And I believe number one is this, that my prayers would be prayers that would glorify God in all things. That you would pray and seek God, and you would seek God's glory. God, whatever it is. Listen to what he says in verse two, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Jesus, use me so that I can preach eternal life to whoever you have placed before me. And he lays it out. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you. Who's that? That they may know the Father through the Son because Jesus' death on the cross is the way to God. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In today's world, in today's culture, we say, listen, find whatever works for you and you're going to find happiness and joy. What's crazy about that is that's not true. You know that Jesus revolution the other night, there was a statement where he says, listen, it's not that they're not looking for God, but they're looking for the wrong God. They were trying to find God through drugs and through happiness and peace and love, man, and all those things. When the reality was he's trying to get across, they're looking for love and hope, and that's what we deal with day in and day out in this culture. People are looking for hope. They're looking for love. They're looking for family. They're looking for connections. Jesus has all of those, and we as a church we as believers have to offer that and speak that and show that. And we do that for God's glory. We don't do it for our namesake We don't do it for even the name of the church, but we do it all for God's glory. And listen to what he says in verse 5. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus knew at some point his life was going to be laid on the line for the good of all mankind. He left heaven to obey the will of the Father, to pay the price for the sacrifice of his body for our sins on the cross. And he offers us a life and a life more abundantly than we see all in scripture. And it says, with the glory I had with you before. Listen, Jesus came, he died on the cross and he was restored to the right hand of the Father as a result of his resurrection and ascension. And he is still sitting on the throne. He is alive, and he is well, and we can honor and worship him. And so how can prayer be life-changing? I believe it's this, that we pray for God's glory through our obedience. Pray for obedience. Notice how many times, as you read this text, how many times Jesus says, world and word. Word. They're almost the same spelling, right? Like if, if your mind is like mine, sometimes you read it and you're like, world, word, what? same thing. What, you know. No, it's not. The word is the only hope of the world. And the world will keep you or the word will keep you from the world, but the world will often keep us from the word as well. So it is important to keep that in mind. I'm convinced that sometimes we take it into our own hands and just do things rather than pray about them, right? Anybody ever been stuck in that? We do it just because we gotta do it. We we don't pray about it, I'm just gonna do it. But Jesus reveals the truth of the Father to all. The world as a whole failed to recognize Jesus as the revealer of the Father. But a select few did. John chapter 6 verse 46 no one has seen the father except the one who is from god that's jesus christ John 10:30 my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of, the ma- out of my hand i and the father are one See, to reveal God's name is to make God's character known, and that's the opportunity that each one of us have. If you look at verse 6, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, right? Remember, i taken you out of the world. You're no longer in the world. You're not to be in the world. You are in the world, but you're not of the world. So he takes them out of it. He saves them from it, and then he says, they were yours, and you have given them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Listen, I believe this wholeheartedly, and I can't stress this enough. If you come in on Sunday morning and you expect to get enough food from Scripture to last you the week, you are malnourished, you are underfed, and you are not prepared to face what the world's going to throw at you. I'm sorry, you're just not. If you come in and think you can get your fill on a Sunday morning only and not spend any time in the Word, and you can stand against the attacks and the schemes and the the workings of Satan day in and day out, you're not. I mean, I see it consistently. I spend time in the Word daily, and I can tell you that it is still overwhelming when Satan comes at you, over and over and over again. And please hear me out when I say this. I know you guys carry the burdens of others, but you have no clue what it's like to be a pastor. None. You have no clue what it's like to try and please and coddle and keep people, but at the same time deal with the people who are emotional wrecks, who want to vomit everything at you and then get mad at you because you can't do nothing about it. And please hear me out. I'm not asking you to feel, have pity party on me, all right? I want you to know that if you don't spend time in the Word, that you can't bear your own burdens, let alone help and walk your family through the struggles that's going on. To maintain a strong, healthy marriage relationship, to walk with your kids day in and day out. I've got to be obedient to the word. That means I've got to be in the word. And listen, as I went through Proverbs, I know we've been going through foolproof, man. I, I literally read all of Proverbs on Friday, the whole thing. And then I sat for 45 minutes. And I went through Proverbs and I was looking at various things. I was looking at my attitudes and actions, right? Right? Like I began to get convicted and, and, and God shows me things where it's like, hey, listen, you, you've got these things out of line. Like you can read Proverbs and you can begin to apply those to your heart and go, man, I've got to be, I've got to be, like, I've told you before, fight, flight. What am I going to choose? Fight every time. That's, that's like, that's not even an option, right? And then I'm reading Proverbs it's like, Brian, you're a jerk, because there are times where you can choose to flight. There are times where you don't have to vomit your words at somebody just because you think you, they need to know the truth. Because that's me. Like, I'm the guy who's like, oh, yeah? Well, guess what? And I'm just going to tell you the truth, even if it hurts your feelings. And I read the verses in Proverbs, and God's like, hey, listen, you don't always have to be the one who's got to be the jerk. You don't always have to express your opinion and your thought processes on things like that. See, when you pray, pray that you would accept God's word as truth, that you would understand the truth of it and be obedient to it even when you do not understand it, that you would listen to his word and live it out daily. Pray scripture, pray the Psalms, pray the Proverbs, pray and walk in obedience because when I pray for obedience, God's gonna do it. Remember what I said? Don't pray for brokenness, humility, or patience. But if you're gonna pray for obedience, you better understand that God's gonna give you opportunities to make a choice, to obey or disobey. The second thing I wanna see is this. Look at verses eight through 10. How can my prayer be life-changing? Number one, I pray for God's glory in our obedience. Number two is I pray for each other. Listen to what he says. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. And they knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them, and I'm not praying for the world. In other words, that's going to come here in just a little bit if you were to read the rest of the chapter 17, verses 13 and following, you're going to see that Jesus says, hey, I'm praying for those who are going to come to faith in Christ through the words of the believers that you have given to me. So he does pray for them, right? But he says in verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Listen, he's praying for believers, for us, And I want to challenge you that you pray for each other, that we as a church should pray for each other. Maybe it starts with your small group, you know, maybe you've been in a group and you can be praying for each other. Maybe you can simply grab our church center app and you can open it up. And if you're a member, guess what you got? You got access to the church center app and you can pray for five people a day and I'm going to ask you to spend hours praying for them. I know you got friends you're praying for and family members, but what if you prayed for each other? What if instead of talking about things, when things actually happen and somebody said, "Man, I've had a heck of a week this week." You said, "Hey, can I pray with you real quick?" Like literally, pray with them. It doesn't even have to be long. Man, God, thank you for such and such. Such a blessing to me. I know this week's been hard. They're dealing with this. God, would you give them wisdom as they walk through? Would you let him see goodness in the midst of the storm? God, would you protect his heart? Would you protect her heart as they walk through this? In Jesus' name, amen. Guess what? We just did that in 45 seconds. And let me tell you what that other person's going to feel. Care. Compassion. concern. And now here's what's going to happen. Two, three days later, you're going to be like, hey, man, how's things going? How are you doing? Like, I could honestly say this. I don't think any of us are over prayed for. I would venture to say all of us are under prayed for. Pray for one another why so we can stand against the schemes of the evil one so that we can withstand the storms that are just beating against the walls of our homes that we can we can make firm foundation in Jesus, that we can speak words of truth to those who have never heard. The very reason Jesus came is about to be fulfilled, and Jesus is praying with his disciples one last time, and now he's praying over his disciples. Like, I'm sitting here going, Jesus should be the one we're praying for, and Jesus is like, I'm going to pray for you. Jesus is about to go to the cross and he says, I don't care about what I'm getting ready to face. It's going to be a burden. As a matter of fact, we see in the other gospels where he's sweating drops of blood, but he says, I'm going to pray for those who matter in my life. The disciples he walked with day in and day out for three years. The ones who would even deny him that very night or betray him. And he says, I want to pray for you. We have to pray for each other. It's the only way we're going to make it. And I believe this, that like when I talked about, I honestly never thought we'd see what we're currently seeing in our culture and what's going on worldwide. All I can tell you is that prayer needs to be ramped up, ratcheted up and increased in the lives of believers because it's not getting better it's only going to continue to get worse. So praying for each other is a drastic need all the way around. When we pray, listen, God promises freedom. He promises to break every yoke of oppression that crushes us. He promises to give us light in the darkness. He promises to let our light shine out to the bright in, in brightness to those who are ca- caught in darkness, that there's going to be healing for our body, for our soul, for our spirit. And listen, that means emotional and mental healing as well. I'm convinced our emotional and mental problems are because we try and carry everything on our own. Now, listen, I understand. There are things that people have to take prescription drugs for and all that. I'm not knocking that. That's all I'm talking about. But if you look at the emotional chaos that's going on in our society, people who I would say at one point seem to be somewhat normal seem to have lost it. And that's the problem because we try and carry all of that on our own. When Jesus says, cast all your cares or your anxiety upon me and I will give you rest. Rest. That I turn it over to Jesus and I lay it down. Can I tell you something? Here's what we do. Jesus, here it is. Hold on, I got to put it on my back before I give it to you. I'll give it to you. Okay, yeah, I'm going to put it back on my back and I'm going to carry it. That's not what he's saying. When he says, cast all your cares or all your worries upon him, he's not asking you to carry any of it. Did he say that I'll help you carry it? No. What he says is he says, I'll carry it. I'll take it. I'll be the one who carries the burden of it, who takes it away. And yet, we oftentimes try to hold on to everything. It's the same with sin. Satan is the only one who ever reminds you of your past sin. Jesus doesn't remind you of it. Jesus, once he convicts you of it and you confess it, he says, it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, I'm not going to remember it. So anytime you get past sin brought up, you can only know that the one person that's bringing up is who? Satan. And you better believe that he's going to throw it in your face every chance he gets. Why? Because he wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. He wants to destroy your life. And so when you do it, when you give it up, when you say, God, I'm reminded of this over and over again, then you understand this, that Satan is at work in your life. And I want you to know right now that I believe he's at work in our church. Make no mistake about it, that he's going to work in your life. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the people, and Satan is always going to come against the church. But I'm also reminded of the promise. Jesus said, the gates of hell will never prevail against my church. Never. Everybody say never. 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 So when I cast those suckers, when I cast my anxiety, when I get rid of that sin, when I turn it over to Jesus, the only one who ever reminds me of that, the only one who brings up all those bad thoughts and all those bad emotions and my fret and my worry over my sin is Satan. It's not God. God doesn't bring it up. He is faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness. Number three is this Golly, I got to hurry, sorry. We pray for God's protection. I think that kind of goes hand in hand that God's protection stems from his holiness, that the root of Jesus' holiness and ours is linked to the relationship we have with the Father through the Son. See, the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, it says, at the end of time. But I want you to understand this that Jesus is still King of kings, He's still Lord of lords, He's still on the throne. So no matter what you face, no matter what's going on, no matter how the enemy comes at you, it says that we pray for the protection. Why? because Jesus will protect us, he will guard us, he will walk us through the storms. It doesn't mean you're not going to face trial. It doesn't mean you're not going to face hardship. It doesn't mean you're not going to face attack. It doesn't mean you're not going to face storms. What it does mean is that you're praying for the protection of God in the midst of those storms so that you could walk with him through it. Listen, most Christians look at this and they go, oh, praying for God's protection. And then you see a missionary or somebody die for the gospel and you're like, where was God at? That was God's will for that person's life. Can I say why? No, I don't know why. But I also know this, that the Bible is very clear that when martyrs are martyred, that there is a special place in heaven for them. Read Revelation. There is a beauty that takes place when a person says, no matter what it costs me, I'm gonna stand on the truth of the gospel for the rest of my life. And if they're struck down as a result of it, then so be it. Last Friday, not, this, not last, this Friday, but whatever, 10 days ago, I got a chance to meet with a missionary couple who lives in the Kansas City area, or their home base is Kansas City area, who have been in the Middle East for 25 years. And they said, hey, we want you to know that our names that we gave you, it's obviously not our real name. And I was like, well, I kind of figured that. I know that right they have to take on pseudonyms for those of you who don't know they go into these closed countries or or things like that and they take on names and that's how they're called and they have to be very careful in what they do and how they say it but they're seeing massive movements of people coming to faith in Christ in the middle east and this couple i met with i'm hoping to have them here next year i said hey is there any way we can get you to come in um, hopefully they're going to come next summer they're, they're, they're in charge of 450 of your IMB missionaries that serve overseas in the Middle East, North Africa and Middle East. And so one of the things I would say is, hey, can you be praying for them? I'm not gonna tell you their names because I haven't got their permission for it, but just pray for those missionaries, 450 missionaries in, in what's called the North Africa and Middle East region. And when you give to our church, and we give our cooperative program dollars, guess what you help fund? You help fund missionaries overseas. 450 in the North African and Middle East. Areas that are, honestly, some of you'd be like, yeah, there ain't no way I'm going over there. Libya, Egypt, some of those Sudan, those North African regions going into the Middle East, right? Israel, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, All these places people are people like, oh, the gospel's not at work there. No, it's working. People are hearing about Jesus and coming to faith in him, but listen, it may cost some of their lives. And the last thing is this praying for unity. I believe that unity in the church is between belie- uh, unity in the church between believers is the greatest picture of God at work in his church. Disunity is not of God, but of Satan. And so make no mistake, I believe that Satan works overtime. Sometimes it's because we're tired. Sometimes it's because somebody annoys us. Sometimes it's because somebody said something we think somebody else heard and blah, 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 blah. And listen, every time, and I please hear me out on this. This is not going against any one individual or group or anybody else like that. All of us are susceptible to this because all of us are insecure. We think somebody talked about us. We think somebody had other motives and other ulterior ways. And listen, all it says in the Bible is this, that if Satan can get a foothold, I love wrestling, right? I go back to old school, Iron Sheik and Hulk Hogan for all those who, right? Like, like Iron Sheik would take this, his foot and he'd like get people in the submission hole. But that's what Satan does. Satan looks for the foot and he just starts to torque and twist, And that believer starts going, I give, I give. And Satan goes, good. Now I got you right where I want you. And listen, when you have a church and Satan gets just a little bit in every one of our lives, guess what happens? Disunity. And when disunity happens more things start to happen. And it's not of God, it's of Satan. And so when I say that, I say this very clearly. This is what he says in verses 11 and following. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. There's the protection part. The name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Listen, the role of the church is to be one just as the Father and the Son are one together. That we can understand that we're going to have different viewpoints and different personalities and different, like, listen, some of you probably would go bonkers because you're like, you talk too much. You're a high extrovert who always thinks he's got to be asking questions because I ask a lot of questions. If I meet you and you're an introvert, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it that way right? The introvert's like, I just want to go in a corner and hide. And I'm like, let me get you out of the corner and ask you 150 questions. I want to know you. And then are introverts like, I don't want to know you. So just leave me alone. Right? Like, I get it. I got pastors like that. They can tell me all the time. They're like, bro, dude, like, you talk to everybody. How? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> right? But I get it. Everybody's different. But I want us to all know this, that I have to be on guard for my life, and you have to be on guard for your life to look where Satan is going to grab a foothold. All of us, every one of us. Because when he does, if I'm on guard just a little bit, I can preemptively prepare myself, right? That when somebody comes in, and they've had a bad week, and they vomit all over me, I don't have to be a jerk and vomit back, right? And and so I kind of take it in, I have to take it in, and then I begin to work from there. And I want you to know this dearly. Please hear me out. I know Satan's at work, and he's coming at us from every different direction. And there's not a one of us in this room that has not experienced it or experiencing it and will experience it consistently. But what I can tell you is this, that when we make this a priority, we pray for each other, we seek God's glory and obedience, and we pray for each other, and we pray that God would protect us and guard us, and we pray for unity, then it changes the landscape of what goes on. We're still going to have problems. There are people involved. We're still going to have struggles, but when we walk in obedience to God's word, here's the big picture, that's why I stopped. When I walk in obedience to what God has called me to do, then as I deal with the trouble, I deal with them in the way that God has called me to do it, based according to his word. So we can have a disagreement. All right, that's good. We're always going to disagree. Like, I mean, heck, dude, you guys are all wrong. Chiefs are terrible. I wish I could say that, but that's that's not true, obviously, but but it's just a disagreement, right? Listen, I love you, church. I, I I want you to know this. But I know. I know what's going on in our world. You know what's going on in your world. You know what's going on around you, you know the struggles you face. You know the financial difficulties. You know the emotional problems. You know the the bombardment of the worldly teachings are going on. You see a world that is desperate for hope and love, and that's what we have to offer. And it's all built on Jesus. Listen, you can pray for protection, but if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that you're setting yourself up for failure. It's got to be about Jesus first and foremost and only. Then everything else comes. Father, it is with great hope and great expectation knowing that you want to work. God, I know our people are bombarded. I know the people in our church. I know the people in our community are overwhelmed. Maybe sometimes we feel like we're carrying a burden we shouldn't be carrying, Maybe we feel like we're carrying other people's burdens when that's not what you've even called us to do. And so God, I pray that we would lay or cast down all our burdens, all our worries, all our anxiety, that we would cast it to you because we know you're the only one who can carry it. You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You are omniscient. We understand that. And so, God, may we just begin to wrap our minds around that and cast our worries upon you. God, I believe that we, as a church, that there are people here today who are desperate and in desperate need of rest. So, God, would you give them that rest? In the name of Jesus.